Hey, MFI, it is so great to be here with you, to be able to share God's word, to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to look at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. And I'm talking about our mission in this moment, and the moment we are in does not pause the mission we are on, right? So let's take a look uh, first and foremost. We're going to take a look at uh, John chapter 20, beginning at verse uh, verse 19. It says this. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Uh, again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. And then, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And in that passage, we hear so much truth that's going to be so helpful for us today in the world in which we live. Because remember, the moment we're in does not change the mission we're on. I want you to go back with me to 1968, because you may remember 1968. Of course, MFI is a global movement, but if I could just zero in something that impacted the world, it was um, 1968 was a year of great tumult, division, uh, and turbulence. There was a sense that the uh, the world was very divided and getting more divided. And here we found ourselves. Believers found themselves in 1968. And I live in outside of Chicago. Chicago had a political convention that led to what the later official report called a police riot. Uh, there was uh, civil rights demonstrations, persons of color, people joining with them, speaking up on civil rights. Um, there were riots at some places at times as well. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, so was Robert Kennedy. And you may have forgotten if you were alive, and I wasn't cognizant at that time, but uh, in 1968, you may also remember that the Hong Kong flu was circling the globe. It was a global pandemic. So all this was taking place and a very tumultuous and turbulent time and followers of Jesus had to ask the question, how do we be faithful in this time and in this place, it's a crazy time. It's a crazy time in 2020. It's a crazy time 2,000 years ago. I want to talk about today the moment, whether it's 1968, 2020, or ultimately 2,000 years ago, because the moment we're in does not pause the mission we are on. Four things I want us to look at today as we go through this passage, right? So number one, first and foremost, we are reminding ourselves that, that again, the moment we're in, there's not positive mission one. And number one in our outline is fear is always the opposite of faith. And we find this in John 20, verse 19. It says this, On the evening of that first day of the week, so it's Sunday night, when the disciples were together, the disciples had gathered together. They already heard that Jesus had been resurrected, that some doubted, some were unsure. It says, With their doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. So here's where they found themselves, right? They're, they're in this very great time where they're hidden, they're hiding, they're unsure, they're afraid. And I think 2,000 years later, we can relate to this. The situation is not the same. We're not hiding from the Jewish leaders, as John explains. But the reality is there's a lot of fear in our world, like there was in 1968. There is in 2020. Now, I want to tell you, um, I don't know, I'm no expert on the situation we're in, but I can tell you it's multifaceted, right? It's not just the pandemic, though Though it is that. It is uh, It is more than that. You know, remember the beginning of the year in January, President Trump was impeached by a vote of the House. You remember that um, soon thereafter the pandemic began, then an economic collapse came, I mean, a stunning economic collapse. Then we saw the killing of George Floyd and we saw civil rights protests and more. Um, we saw the backlash of that. We saw riots. We saw um, all the division in the country continue to grow right in and around election. I mean, wow, 
This is not, not 1968. It's just a time of great tumult. So I wrote an article in USA Today, and in that article, again, I'm not a doctor. I don't try to talk about these medical things as if I am. I know everyone's an expert because of the internet now. But I'm not, I'm, I am a doctor, I should say. My, my daughters tell me I'm the kind of doctor who doesn't help people, but I think I help people in a different way. But, um, but here, what we found was, is that, I wrote this article in USA Today, is that in the article, and I talked about how um, the masks are about to come down. Now, that sounds like a strange phrase, and it wasn't, when I wrote the article, the whole controversy about masks hadn't even started. But the point was, is that uh, who we are, masks hide who we are, and they're about to, I was talking metaphorically, the masks are going to come down, and we're going to see who Christians really are. And in a world where Christians have been maligned and who have been marginalized, I think that this moment, the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. And this is the time for Christians to stand up, stand out, and stand in the gap. And at churches, MFI churches around the world, where the gospel is preached, where the mission is joined, we join Jesus on his mission, but we remember that fear is always the opposite of faith. What was their response? They were behind closed doors because of fear. They were afraid. 2,000 years later, there are Christians who are afraid, and they're afraid for different reasons, right? Some are afraid for different reasons than others. Can I tell you, an election cycle is so driven by fear in the modern political world. And again, we recognize the global globalness, the global nature of, of uh, MFI, but, but just know that fear is all around the world right now, and fear is the opposite of faith. We can trust Jesus in this time. I've read, the, I've read the end of the book, Jesus Wins, and so I can trust him in the midst of these times. So number one in our outline, fear is always the opposite of faith. Let's go on to uh, number two. Number two is, is that peace is always the Christian response. Peace is always the Christian response. It says this, number one, fear is always opposite of faith. Number two, peace is always the Christian response. It says this, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And in doing so, he says to them that there's going to be a different kind of peace, a kind of peace that passes all understanding, a gospel-driven peace, a spirit-filled peace, which shouldn't surprise us. Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this is a biblical promise. Now, in the broader context, right, the moment we're in does not pause the mission we are on in the broader context. In that broader context, we recognize that we're going to walk in the world having peace. Ephesians 2.4 literally says, he is our peace. Jesus himself says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And I want to say to you, 2,000 years ago, they were behind closed doors because of the fear of the Jewish leaders. 2,000 years later, people are too often and too afraid. Peace is always the Christian response, a peace that, 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 that goes beyond all human understanding. Jesus says, and I want to say to you, uh, don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There's the call. There's the call for you. There's the call for me. People in our churches need to see us as pastors, church leaders, and more who are living in peace, even when there's economic crisis, even when there's political division. We're not joining in the foolishness. We're ultimately showing and sharing the love of Jesus in the midst of it all. Now, don't miss this, right? So that's the second thing. Now, I'm going to kind of spoiler alert here. If you actually go ahead, Jesus doesn't say peace be with you once. He actually says it twice. Now, we're going to get to that in point four in the message, and we're just on point two. But spoiler alert, Jesus says twice, he says, peace be with you. Now, i got to tell you something. 
Every word of the Bible is inspired and inerrant, right? Uh, every sentence matters deeply. And it, there's, you know, people talk about, like, my, my Bible is actually a, a, a red-letter Bible, right? So people talk about, you know, well, the red letters are the red letters of Jesus. And, yeah, and, and it's great, but all the words are equally inspired. These are all the word of God, right? But here you got red letters said twice by Jesus. I don't take one part of the Bible more inspired than the other, but, boy, i got to pay attention here. He says, peace be with you because... We live in a world where a lot of people are not living in and living out that peace, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. So number one, fear is always the opposite of faith. Number two, peace is always the Christian response. Number three, we're going to look at now, number three is the cross is always our hope and our motivation. The cross is always our hope and motivation. Let's read it. It says, uh, after he said this, peace be with you, he just said, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, right? Wow, okay, great. So the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. You would be too. Guy was dead on Friday, on Sunday, not so much. So what's the big deal? I mean, of course they're overjoyed. But I want to explain a little bit about the text, right? The, 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 the Bible is, um, is written, as I mentioned, as the inspired word of God. Um, it, as the inspired word of God, inerrant in its original autographs, faithfully translated for us today. And so when I see the disciples rejoice, uh, were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, I want to ask what preceded that? I mean, the fact that he was dead and back seems a pretty good reason for rejoicing. Imagine someone you know was dead and then came back on the third day. But John carefully writes, John's an evangelist. He's using the gospel of John to uh, share the good news of Jesus with his reader. So here's what it says. After he said this, okay, now they could have been rejoicing because he said this, peace be with you. Could have been rejoicing because he was alive. But John says something important. He showed them his hands and his side. Why does John record that particular moment? Because it happened, right? But there's probably other things. He probably said other words. He didn't record everything there. It says he showed them his hands and his side. Here's why. Number three, the cross is always our hope and motivation. The moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on, and the cross the work of Christ who died on the cross for our sin and in our place, taking our place so we might receive by grace and through faith the victory he has assured, He has come, come to, the victory he had over sin and death is validated by the resurrection from the dead. So there it is for us, right? There it is for us. So why were the disciples rejoicing? Because the crucifixion. John wants us not to miss this. He showed them his hands and his side, his hands and his side, right? So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now, here's the thing. With that confidence, I can not walk in fear. I can walk in peace, right? Fear is always the opposite of faith. Number two, when we look first, we've got to get the fear behind us. Number two, peace is always the Christian response. But how can we walk that way? Because the cross is always our hope and motivation. I love Romans 14.8. It I, it's a fascinating passage that speaks to this moment and every moment. It says, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. So here's the thing. I don't know what's going to happen, right? I don't know if your family is going to be impacted economically. I don't know if your family's health is going to be impacted. I don't know those things. Here's what I know. Again, I've read the end of the book, Jesus Wins, right? But I also know that if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Now, don't want you to miss this because herein is the truth that transcends everything I'm talking 
about today. It's not just I feel good because uh, I can trust God. It's not just I feel good because I'm walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's literally Jesus' work on our behalf on the cross that provides us both the hope, right, the hope for the future, and our motivation to live on mission. Because the moment we're in does not pause the mission we are on. So number one, right, we fear is always the opposite of faith. Number two, right, we're going to start by kind of casting out that fear. Uh, number two, peace is always the Christian response, right? Uh, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, because the world wouldn't have peace in 1968 or in 2000 or 2020 or 2000 years ago. Number three, the cross is always our hope and motivation. And number four, we always go because Jesus came to us. We always go because Jesus came to us. I think herein is the key, right? This is the high point of the Gospel of John, right? Forty times Jesus has said in some way in the Gospel of John that he is sent by his Father. And then at the end of the Gospel of John, he says this. It says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you, twice now. And then the key for us today, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I am sending you. There it is clear, powerful, and beautiful. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Daute in the Greek, it means in the same manner, not for the same purpose, but in the same manner. That's what we do. We go. And in the midst of a brokenness that is around us, followers of Jesus, who stand up, stand out, and stand in the gap are the people God is going to use. And I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that 2020 could be the beginning of a great season of harvest. could be a beginning of a great work of God in and among his people. And there are reasons I think that I'll get to in just a moment. But let's talk about how we might respond. Now, I know churches, MFI churches around the world, are joining Jesus on his mission, are, are serving their communities, showing and sharing the love of Jesus. Why? Because we know we always go because Jesus came to us. It doesn't mean that we just go in a crisis. But boy, this crisis has given us the opportunity to show and share the love of Jesus in fresh, new ways. And thank God for that, right? Our churches are probably mobilized at a higher level than they were before. People are showing and sharing the love of Jesus at a higher level than they were before. It doesn't mean it's always easy because so much of our evangelism was done by inviting our friends to church. And now we've got to refocus and recover the passion of personal evangelism. People share the gospel with their neighbors and their coworkers and more. The big Christmas Eve service and the big Easter service, probably not going to be packed this year, but ultimately the kingdom of God can indeed be advanced as God is redeeming people, calling people, changing hearts and lives, and we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that when we go because Jesus, and this is key, we go because Jesus came to us, right? As the Father has sent me even so, send out you. And a crisis is a great opportunity for us to do that. Multifaceted, right? Churches did it in 2020. Churches did it in 1968. Churches did it 2,000 years ago. In the midst of this, this is what Christians were known for in ancient times, was serving the gospel, serving the love of Jesus to a broken and hurting world. So I grew up on Long Island outside of New York City. My family was kind of the Irish Catholic working class family that was so atypical, uh, excuse me, so typical uh, maybe 50 years ago. Um, my grandfather was a fire battalion chief in the New York City Fire Department, my uncle a New York City cop. And um, my grandfather was very much influential in my childhood, particularly my later childhood years. And he'd sit and I'd listen to his stories all day long. He was retired from the fire department. But one thing stuck out to me. 
he kept saying um, one phrase on more than one occasion. He says, and it was various variations of it. He 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 would say, um, fire fire. He'd say firemen. We'd say firefighters today. He'd say firemen. Firemen run towards the fire when everyone else runs away, or run toward the crisis when everyone else runs away. And I actually have his badge. I have his. Uh, it's very a picture of his badge. I should say my aunt has it now, but but as promised that I'll I'll get it someday. Um, but I but I took a picture of this last time, and I, I love the fact you can actually see that's my my grandfather and my uncle. But I, I love the service that they gave. But my grandfather's phrase, "We're the ones who run towards the fire. We're the ones who run towards the crisis," just resonates with me, and it resonates with me today. And maybe it resonates with you because as followers of Jesus, we're the ones who run towards the crisis and been doing it for two thousand years. Right? We could actually have like bumper stickers since two thousand. Uh, for, since, since, since zero, and for 2,000 years, Christians have been living this way. So I wrote that article for USA Today. Can I just share a little bit from it? Let me just read part of it. Um, I said, stepping back a moment, it's worth asking why the Christian church has and is now again called to live in such a sacrificial way. The answer is in part of the description of Christians as citizens of heaven. I quoted Philippians 3.20 there in, in the article. I wrote Philippians 3.20. That is, our hope is not in this life, but in the life to come. While everyone is good at looking, uh, talking in times of peace, moments of crisis define who we are and what we really believe. They reveal, as I said, the masks come down. Remember, that was written before some of this became uh, a debate. But then I gave an example, a very famous church historian named Eusebius. It says, in one famous example, the church historian Eusebius describes a fourth century pandemic that swept through the Roman Empire. This was early on in the pandemic, and probably by now you've heard some story about, you know, the, uh, a plague at some point, you know, that, that swept through and what Christians did. Here's what I said. Far from fleeing the cities or shutting off their homes from others, which is what people would do, by the way. And, and people knew that. They didn't necessarily know what a virus was, but they knew when you're near somebody, you get sick. And if you're near a person who's sick, you get sick. So what they would do is they'd burn the bridges into their villages. They'd lock their doors. They'd stay inside in fear. So others gathered from all parts of the city, a multitude of those, well, I'm sorry, skip part. Eusebius records that all day long, the Christians tended to the dying and to the burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Now, of course, we want to be very clear, that's not the level of pandemic we're facing. It says others gathered together from all parts of the city to a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. So then it continues on. This is the line I love so much. As a result, Eusebius concludes, this is my writing, and then it says, uh, the Christians, quote, deeds were on everyone's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christians. Right? So, so here's, here's the thing. Um, I want in 2023, people around the community where MFI churches are, where you're serving and showing the love of Jesus and sharing the gospel and serving the hurting, I want them to say in 2023 that, wow, you know, they, their deeds were on everyone's lips, quoting Eusebius. The Christians, quote, deeds were on everyone's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christians, unquote. That's what I, I want for my church, for your church, for, for, our, for our neighbor, for our family, for our neighborhood, and more. So as followers of Jesus in 2020, what will drive us? Will it be showing and sharing the love of Jesus in the midst of a broken and hurting world? And uh, my hope is, uh, well, I actually wrote this. Let me, let me just, if I could, because we're very political time. I said, uh, who are we, followers of Jesus, in 2020? Are we driven by a desire for political power and gain, or will we be those who show and share the love of Jesus in the midst of this now growing crisis? It was the beginning of this. We will know soon. 
Um, and I said, masks will run out and masks will come down. Perhaps it's time to take them off anyway and show Christians really are. Remember, this was written before the current debate. I pray we will look more like our Jesus and less like our worst impulses. It's time to take off the masks. Again, talking about the masks of who we are not, who we really are in Christ. So again, the, the theme is so clear and so powerful, right? Um, tumultuous times cause people either to stand up or to run away, to stand out or to hide, to uh, stand in the gap or to focus on themselves. I want us to stand up, stand out, and stand in the gap as followers of Jesus. So John 20, 21, just so you know, is my favorite verse in the whole New Testament. So I'm so privileged to be able to share it with you today here in our MFI gathering. Uh, but perhaps my favorite verse in the Old Testament is like unto it, as some writer might say. And um, it's actually Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year King Uzziah died, and the rest of it talks about this vision. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It's an amazing vision. Stood then there were seraphim, six wings, covering face, eyes and feet, flying, holy, 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 right? The foundations shook, there's smoke. Isaiah says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips from people of unclean lips. It's like, wow, this amazing, powerful, amazing, just unthinkable vision. But I want you not to miss, remember the Bible is inspired word by word. If the first few words, the first seven words were in the year that King Uzziah died, which I got to tell you, makes 2020 look like nothing. Because in the ancient times, when a king died, the whole kingdom was in disarray. Uh, treaties could be broken. Um, who knew who was going to be the next king? Um, is it going to be, uh, we had a treaty, we weren't invaded by our neighbors, now we can be. Perhaps the most tumultuous seven words that you can hear in ancient days is in the year King Uzziah died. And so it's in the midst of that tumult and turbulence, right? Centuries before, 2020, 1968, the first century Christians hiding from the Jewish leaders. All this takes place, but here's what is so powerful, right? So God was on a mission in the Old Testament too. And here's what Isaiah 6, 8 says. It says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. What a great reminder. Here I am, send me. What a great reminder. What a great call for us as followers of Jesus to say, here I am, Lord, send me. See, it's very easy to get caught up in some of the drama of the day. But I got to tell you, followers of Jesus who stay on mission, See, far too many people, even in our churches, are being discipled by their cable news choices and spiritually shaped by their social media feed. What if instead our words were filled with grace and gospel? What if instead our commitment to the authority of Scripture would shape us, not what's yelling at us on cable news or what's drilling into our heads from social media? Because then I believe we'd be reminded that the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. It doesn't stop, doesn't end, doesn't, doesn't stop us from what Jesus has called us to do. So back to 1968, you may wonder why I kept coming back to 1968. One of the things we're doing at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center where I serve is, uh, of course, you know, I have the dean of a school. We actually have MFI students, excited to connect with MFI students as well. Um, but one of the things that I'm doing, we're doing here is a project on the Jesus People Movement which has obviously connections to, to, to many of you in one way or the other. But in 1968, it was a tumultuous, divided time. And 
the Holy Spirit was at work. Uh, one hippie came home to meet one pastor, Lonnie Frisbee, meets a guy named Chuck Smith, and they start some Bible studies and, and, and lots of other people. I don't want to leave anyone's names out because some of your names might be in that as well. This happened to pick two who were among the most famous, a film currently being made, a Hollywood film currently being made about the beginning of the Jesus revolution. So here's what, for me, I look at 2020 and I think, wow, it's, a, it's definitely a broken and divided time. There's division all around us and it just continues. But what happened was the Holy Spirit is at work in tumultuous and turbulent times. And if we'll join Jesus on his mission, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. If we'll join Jesus on his mission, if we'll acknowledge the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on, we might actually find that the moment we're in accelerates the mission we're on. It did in 1968, and by 1969, Bible studies were meeting, and by 1970, the Jesus People Movement was the talk of Life magazine, Time magazine, and more. And I believe if we will stay focused on Jesus' mission, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, showing and share the love of Jesus, that in by 2023, they will indeed say the deeds, quote, the quote, the deeds of the Christians were on everyone's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christians. That's what I want. That's what you want. My prayer for you, for me, for us, is that together we might not get distracted by the division of 2020, but like in 1968 or like in 32, 33, 35 AD, when the disciples were behind closed doors because of their fear of the Jewish leaders, that we might hear the words of Jesus, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. We might respond to his goodness and his gospel, sharing the grace and the gospel to a broken, hurting and divided and tumultuous world. That's my prayer for you, MFI sisters and brothers. I pray that in God's goodness and in his grace that we might say, as Isaiah did, here I am, Lord, send me. That's what I'm going to pray. That's how I'm going to end our time in my session with you is to pray, here I am, Lord, send me. Pray with me. Father, we do pray that you might speak to every pastor, church leader, key leader in a church, staff member, and we might again be reminded of Jesus' mission, that right now your people might respond in obedience to your call. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, even so send I you, you, your church, your life, into your neighborhood, into your community. Lord, when we, 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 we take up that task, when we say, when Jesus says those words, that's talking about us. And Lord, in your grace and your goodness, may we say, here I am, Lord, send me. That's what I say right now, Lord, and just speaking for my sisters and my brothers, um, here I am, Lord, send me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.